This is Canvas, a show all about iPad productivity. My name is Fraser Spears and I'm joined as always by Federico Vitici. Hi Fraser, how are you? I'm not too bad. It's the it's the week where I decide that Christmas is now far too close and it's a panic. And mm. last week Christmas was miles away and now I'm in a panic. So uh, tis the season for panic. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's really it's really coming up. So uh, we have an announcement to make this week. Uh, Fraser, why don't you do the honors and I will follow up on that. Yeah, I, I suppose it is with, with both pride and sadness, Federico, that we are announcing the end of Canvas and we're not doing a Merlin Man kid on here. This is for real. Um, when, when we started the show, Federico, I think we were frustrated by the general lack of understanding of what you know, quote-unquote real work is on iOS mm-hmm. and the under, the lack of understanding, which seems to, you know, to a certain extent still be there, that you can actually get work done on this platform. So you and I had the idea to start this show and over the last couple of years we've covered areas including you know uploads and downloads from the web was one of our first shows we've talked about password managers handling pdfs travel long-form writing huge amount of stuff on automation we've lived through ios 10 ios 11 ios 12 but i think we both felt recently that at this point a couple of years into the show that we feel the show is coming to a natural end and partly this is because of the the fact that the the set of things you can do comfortably on iOS hasn't really significantly changed much in the period, mm. and we felt that we had covered a huge amount of it in in a lot of detail. And yeah. We felt it was in a way it was mission accomplished for what we were trying to do. Yeah, and and uh, I mean this, I I thought that was this was pretty clear when we started doing this future of iPad series, and I think a couple of people on Twitter um sort of figured it out before and asked me, but I didn't reply. Um, uh, and I was looking through the archive recently and. Re- Really, I think I'm very happy with all the topics that we've been able to cover. And uh, we we covered every, uh, almost everything there is to cover based on the knowledge that we have. Of course, we haven't talked about, I don't know, <laughs> scientific apps or medical apps because we're not doctors or scientists but all the all the 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 you know all the basic topics and even the more advanced ones i we talked about and i just want to reassure people that uh, nothing <laughs> absolutely nothing bad happened between me and fraser it's been it's been it's been a honor and a, and a pleasure to work with fraser and we just we just realized um you know especially with the new ipads uh, we were we were talking about this a few months ago with the new iPads, Apple shipped uh, new hardware, but the software is basically unchanged. And so um, we we just realized um, we're already struggling to find topics. So maybe uh, you know, considering all the the the, the ground that we already covered, maybe now it is the the time to wrap it up. And so that's why we decided to do this series to look at the future of the iPad and to. You know, look at various fields and areas where the iPad could improve, both the hardware and the software. And we're going to have one more episode after this. So today we're going to talk about automation. And for the f- very last episode of Canvas, we're going to talk about the ecosystem and the overall picture. And um, again, I just want to reassure people that we're super cool, <laughs> Fraser and I, nothing happened. It's just we're doing this because we think it's best for the show, uh, considering where the iPad is right now and the fact that we've been doing this for for over two years at this point and we, I, we think we covered everything there is to cover based on who we are and what we do. Absolutely. I mean, people on Twitter have probably noticed that I've kind of been taking a step back from iOS as my main oh, platform. It's <laughs> uh, putting it probably the understatement of 2018. Um, there's been plenty of overstatement in 2018, I suppose, as well. Um, but uh, I'm spending a bit more time, obviously, we talked about moving to Android for the phone. I've been spending more time on Chrome OS for, for sort of desktop portable computing and so on. And um, that's kind of where I'm living at the moment. And I'm, I'm trying to get an experience of you know a different platform and so to be honest with you the main reason is that it's much better aligned with the software that we use at school these days so um but again you know i agree with you federico there's nothing there's nothing personal we haven't you haven't fired me from the show because i bought a chromebook um nothing like that yeah. it's just uh you know i don't want to just keep doing this for the sake of doing it and, and not yeah produce a good quality product i mean that's not what either of us have ever been about online and i think uh we can wrap this up at the end of this year. We can call it a good body of work and we can both yeah. move on to, to Pastures New. 
Yeah, exactly. And, and that is why, so we're going to talk about automation today and we're going to talk about the iPad ecosystem uh, and the broad picture of the iPad in the very final episode of Canvas in two weeks. But that said... Fraser, uh, yep. we should move on to our main topic, but before we do that, we should thank our friends at Luna Display. Absolutely, because have you ever looked at your iPad and wished you could use it as a second display for your Mac? Well, Luna Display is exactly that. And it makes sense because your iPad already has this incredible screen and gorgeous display and you can use some extra space when working from your Mac unless you have a whole wall of Mac screens or something that most people don't have. Uh, Luna Display provides crystal clear image quality, reliable performance and wireless flexibility. And all you do is you pop a little piece of hardware into a USB port in your Mac or a mini display port as well and you're good to go. And if you don't have access to Wi-Fi, you just connect with USB. And when you're using the Luna Display, you can basically set up your workspace anywhere so you can be productive at the office, in the studio, on the go. You get more screen without having to buy a new screen because you know, people who live a, a Mac and iPad lifestyle, you're probably carrying two screens in your bag anyway. So why not connect them and get extra productivity? Luna basically acts as a complete extension to your Mac, so it's going to support your external keyboard, Apple Pencil, and touch interactions on the iPad screen, so you can interact with your Mac with the swipe of a finger. Now, Federico, we've been talking about that, and uh, you've, I know you've been playing with a lot of different connections and screens and things recently. How does mm-hmm. Luna Display fit into all of that? It, it's so good. Um, I have a unit that uses the DisplayPort um, plug, um, but it's so good. I've been using that with my MacBook Pro, but now, of course, I've upgraded to a Mac Mini. And I've been so happy with the performance and with just how easy it is to set up that I ordered a, a second USB-C version that I can use with my Mac Mini. Um, because I want to try and see if it's possible to use the Mac Mini uh, as a essentially headless uh, computer using the iPad as the main display. And I want to try this crazy thing just to see for science if it's possible to... Um, mirror uh, my Mac my Mac mini to the iPad Pro using Luna and then connect a USB-C cable <laughs> from the iPad Pro to the ultra fine display and see <laughs> so this is with the, the Mac most mini thing that's ever been done <laughs> with the Mac mini sitting right there <laughs> next to the display <laughs> i want to see if i can if i can mirror it using Luna on the iPad but yeah i mean Super smooth, super fast. Uh, you can use the Apple Pencil. You can you can uh, use the iPad as an actual display for for the for the Mac. Um, you can do crazy things like on your Mac running on your iPad. You can airdrop things to yourself using the same device. <laughs> which is it's ridiculous but it works it's so good it's i cannot recommend it enough again for science i tried other similar and unnamed uh second screen apps this mm-hmm. week on my ipad trust me get a luna display it's it costs a little more money of course uh than other solutions but also the quality you get is 10 times what you get from from alternatives on the app store um Again, I love it. I got a second unit for myself that I'm waiting for and I cannot wait to test it with the Mac Mini. Federico, I'm just sitting here thinking about your setup there and what I'm hearing is that you've basically taken what could be a sort of 40 euro cable and you've put in the middle of that about 1,200 pounds worth of iPad equipment in between your Mac <laughs> Mini and your screen. Is that right? Y- yes. But it's for yes. science, right? So there we go. It's, it is for science. It Absolutely. Is for science. So I do. If, if you want to do a Federico you, and you can get 10% off your Luna display. So all you got to do is you got to go to lunadisplay.com and enter the promo code canvas at checkout. That's L-U-N-A display.com. And the promo code canvas at checkout will get you 10% off a Luna display unit. Our thanks to Luna display for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. So Federico, we're going to talk future of automation and I want to kind of set this up a little bit with with mm. some theory, if you like, which is that there are really two types of automation in the world today. There are what, what I I call on device automation and cloud automation. I know you've used the term web automation in the past for a similar yeah. idea, but the idea is that on device loca- uh, automation is locally executed code. It's programs that are running on your device, your iPad or your phone, and this is basically what we've had in the Apple world since Apple Script. You know, that was the Apple script model was local code running on your Mac and shortcuts is very similar to that. It's clearly not technically the same as Apple script, but it is, it's still that model where 
there's there's code executing on your device and sure it's reaching out over the network for various things but it's basically that idea and then on the other hand you've got cloud automation or web automation which is you know ifttt and it's todoist and it's smart home services and this is where the software the service essentially runs on the internet and it can be executed and it can do things for you even when every device you own is locked or turned off in some way it can kind of be running in the background for you at all times and i know you've done a lot federico with integration and a lot of these different things so you can maybe throw me some examples yeah. of of how that kind of fits together yeah um i'm a paying subscriber of zapier which is um it's it's not cheap but it it saves us as um uh, as a team, it saves us so many hours every every year that it's totally worth it as a business expense for us. Um, and I'm huge on web automation or cloud automation because it's it's in in a way I think it's the perfect kind of automation in that it just runs in the background in the cloud and it does things for you once it's set up, of course without any management you don't need to think about it you don't need to manage it you don't need to activate it because the triggers are automatic so in a way it is the best kind of automation because it's uh, automated end-to-end -end. so the trigger is automated and the and the entire uh, process is automated um and some examples so um so on Club Mac Stories, which is the subscription service that we run on Mac Stories to get access to extra content um we uh, uh, we set up a way for people to ask us questions. Um, so if you remember, you get uh, this link that takes you to a Google form and you can fill in different fields and you can ask us a question or you can submit a request for a shortcut that you want me to create for you or you can submit your home screen. If you think your home screen is interesting enough, well, we will accept your submission and maybe feature that in a future um, newsletter. So we have these Google Forms, and they go to our Google, to our Google account. Um, I set up uh, a series of um, zaps. I think they're called zaps on Zapier. Okay. Um, but recipes, whatever you want to call them, workflows, uh, that take that content, that Google Form content, and um, run... So they take the name of the... For example, the name of the member, their email address, and the text that they submitted to... Um, Google Forms. Then I added a run Python code script that um, encodes that uh, content in a specific way and creates a markdown version of that content um, formatted the way that I will want the format to look like in the newsletter. So for example, the name of the person in bold and a certain format for the question and a link back to the to the person's Twitter account if, if the person uh, included one in the Google form. Um, and I use this because all of this text is then encoded in Python and saved in a Trello card, in a Trello board, that we use for Club Mac Stories in, in a specific list, depending if it's a workflow question or a general question or, or a home screen. Then, so this just runs, right? Every time someone submits a question, Zapier does this. And before you say, oh, it's a house of cards, it's never going to work, it's been working just fine for two years. Mm. And the Python code is, has plenty of you know error checking techniques in it. Um, it just it just works. So every time someone sends us a question, this happens, and I end up with a Trello board with a Trello card that has a preview of the question and a little link that I can tap on my iPad or my iPhone. When I tap it, that link is actually a URL scheme that runs a shortcut. And you know what the shortcut does? It takes that text that I encoded in Python as input and says, do you want to, to create this um, as a document in your text editor? And so that text that originally was submitted via Google Forms uh, on, a, on the web arrives on my device and a shortcut runs and it says, I, I got the te this text and I decoded it for you. Uh, do you want to add it to Ulysses or IA Writer or Bear or whatever you're using as a text editor? And I say yes. And that way I can go in 10 seconds from a Trello card 
to a sheet in Ulysses or a document in IA Writer where I can start writing and answer the question and save for later. So this is the more advanced kind of web automation that I do. I have simpler things mm -hmm. also. But the idea would be um, bridging this gap between um, content on the web that wouldn't be as easy to access using shortcuts alone. So I can yeah. use Zapier for more advanced things, but then also tying that back to shortcut to shortcuts on my iPad using Trello as sort of the middleman. Um, it's It's been working super well for us. Uh, I think I set it up two years ago and it's been running smoothly ever since. Yeah, I think it's always sort of critical when you're doing any kind of automation to understand the bit that you want to have absolutely zero intervention on which is the yeah. collection part and then there's a part which obviously requires your intervention which is selecting the thing you want to do and then firing it off and that part is perfectly fine to require your manual intervention to make it run because you've got to go and look at it anyway and choose what you want but you don't want to have to you know get those in your email or whatever and then go oh hey send this email to zapier send this email to, you know yeah you don't want to you don't want to be the postman for that stuff but you it's fine to have you involved on the back end as well so i think that the question is, you know, is iOS a good citizen for automation? And I think it's kind of been the backbone of this show over the years that we've done at Federico that particularly in, in the case of on-device automation, iOS is far and away the leading platform for on-device automation. Um, no other mobile platform is anywhere close. You could even argue that the Mac is not even anywhere close to what shortcuts can do. Um, obviously, you know... Automator's been on the Mac for quite a while and so on, but in terms of, you know, on-device automation, iOS is for, for, for regular users, yeah. okay. I mean, there are, there's all kinds of automation happens with Microsoft Office on Windows, and you see that every time you go to your bank because it seems that every bank is entirely built on top of um, Visual Basic for applications and things like that and generating Word mm -hmm. files that they print out and then you have to sign them all and all that kind of stuff. But in terms of on-device automation for consumers solving real-world problems, iOS, in terms of the creation of those things, iOS is really uh, a leading platform. And I think when it comes to cloud automation or web automation, Almost everything has an iOS client. You know, you have IFTTT clients. You've got, um, you can tell me about Zapier as well. But sometimes what I've felt about iOS is that it's it's often very easy to run automations and access the results of automations. But sometimes authoring automations on iOS can be a little bit difficult. Um, and I'll give you one example of where, where we do automation in school, which is we use um, AWS Lambda, which is... It's kind of on the Amazon Web Services platform. It's basically you write little Python scripts and they live in the cloud and you can trigger them based on lots of different things. There's obviously a lot of um, uh, a lot of triggers and sensors for what's happening on your AWS infrastructure uh, to, you know, you could spin up new virtual machines if you were getting under load or whatever. But what we use it for is we use these Amazon workspaces for doing virtual PC work in the school. And they take some time to start up. So what, what I've done is I've written a, a Python script that will start workspaces tagged with different class names and the, the, it will automatically start them 10 minutes before the class begins so that they're up and running in time for the kids to use them in class. Um, editing that on iOS is an absolute nightmare because it's all through the web and um, that was very, very difficult. And there's no, there is an AWS app, but it's more just sort of like you can see how many machines you've got running. It's not really an authoring tool as such. So um, I think it's more of a mixed picture for authoring cloud automation stuff on iOS, um, but on the on-device automation stuff is absolutely yeah. you know, top class. Yeah, and I think it. Uh, I, I think it's interesting how um, you can sort of bridge those two worlds to an extent using shortcuts. Um, I think one of the more significant updates that we covered um, last year when we did our workflow series um, is the ability to interact with web APIs from workflow before and now from shortcuts. Um, because that that when the when the workflow team shipped that feature, it truly opened up uh, the ability to you know to 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 pass data from your local device, from your local system, from apps, or from things like reminders or calendar to any web service you can think about. And, uh, you know, um, that sort of, that became a way to sort of in better integrate uh, iOS with the web, 
but also to create your own little programs. Uh, like, for example, my uh, for years, I used uh, sh custom shortcuts that I made for time tracking um, that I, um, you know, with the toggle web service, uh, which at the time didn't have a native iOS app. Uh, and I had these shortcuts that allowed me to track my time uh, because they were based on, on an open API. And so I sort of, uh, blended local automation with web automation uh, using shortcuts. But you can go even deeper than that and you could do things like um, you can trigger a web automation. So you can you can trigger a recipe on IFTTT or uh, a workflow on Zapier using a shortcut on your local device, on your local iOS device, um, using technologies like webhooks, for example. So if you if you make a call to a specific webhook, uh, you can trigger uh, something on IFTTT. And I made an example, um, I think uh, it was a couple of months ago, how you can use uh, shortcuts and therefore Siri on iOS 12 to um, do things like activate a Roomba <laughs> <laughs> using IFTTT because the Roomba has a, has a IFTTT support. So if you set up a recipe that says, when this web call occurs, um, tell my Roomba to start working. And that web call I can activate from shortcuts and therefore uh, you, can, you can create a command for Siri. So that idea of blending web automation and local automation, um, I think we're going to see more and more of that over the next few years. I don't think I don't think Apple will necessarily participate in that uh, because they, they tend to be more on the side of we want to build native features into shortcuts yeah. for system stuff. But I think people will start doing more and more of that uh, in the future. Yeah, I, I can't necessarily imagine Siri for the web as such or shortcuts for the web, mm. but we'll maybe talk about that later on. Yeah. Federico, let's maybe dive into our next sponsor and then we'll get into talking about automation at a higher level. How about that? All right. Okay. Okay. So uh, this episode of Canvas is also brought to you by Away. And Away has the perfect gift for everyone on your holiday list. They make smart premium suitcases so your luggage doesn't cost more than your plane ticket. And what do you do need most when you're traveling? More battery. Because when you buy an Away suitcase, you can charge all your devices while you travel. Both, of their, both sizes of their carry-on feature USB ports with a battery large enough to charge your phone five times from a single charge of the battery. So go to awaytravel.com slash canvas now and browse Away's suitcases featuring premium German polycarbonate which is unrivaled in strength and impact resistance and still lightweight. You can choose from over 10 colors and five different sizes. You get the carry-on, the bigger carry-on, that's what it's actually called, the medium, the large, or the kids carry-on for the smaller travelers. And they cut out the middleman so you can get first-class luggage at coach prices. Away suitcases have a patent-pending compression system, which is great if you're an overpacker, and four 360-degree spinner wheels. Away's carry-on are compliant with all major US airlines while still maximizing the amount you can pack, and there are TSA combination locks built in. They also feature a removable washable laundry bag so you can separate your clean clothes from your dirty clothes. Now, Federico, Away sent me one of these suitcases and mm -hmm. um, I, I tried it for a little while and I have now lost it because my daughter has absolutely stolen it from me and she will not <laughs> give it back. She she believes it is now hers and every trip we go on, that is her suitcase and she will not give it up. So um, I'm, I'm going from memory of what I what used to be when I had free access to my own away suitcase. Um, but Beth absolutely loves it because she's, you know, kids and devices on when she's traveling is it's absolutely what, you know, it's one of the ways that they get through these long and boring journeys for them. Um, so the battery has been really a big deal for her. And it's to the point where she won't even put the suitcase in the back of the car. She wants it in the seat beside her so that she can plug her device into her suitcase. And that's it. So the, the battery is is a huge feature for Beth. But she's also, Beth's quite an organized little girl as well. So she loves the uh, all the kind of straps and the compression and the zippy bits and all that kind of stuff inside. So um, she packs a beautiful suitcase. I'm so proud of her. It's personally something that's very important to me as well. Um, and Beth and I sort of have a, we now have the job of packing for the whole family whenever we go. My wife will just leave out all the clothes and Beth and I will just pack them, pack and pack. So that's our strange way of getting ready for family holidays. And so you know as well, Away believe in the quality of their products. And this is why they offer a lifetime guarantee. And if anything breaks, they will, they will fix it or replace it for life. 
And if they also have a 100-day trial with a no-questions-asked return policy and free shipping on any order within the lower 48 states of the US. Because this season, everyone wants to get away. So you should go to awaytravel.com slash canvas. And if you use the code canvas at checkout, you'll get $20 off any of their suitcases. That's awaytravel.com slash canvas and the code canvas for $20 off. Thank you so much to Away for their support of this show and Relay FM. So Federico, big bigger picture on automation. Okay. Why do it? Why bother? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, people ask me this question every time I share a shortcut or you know a workflow that took me a while to put together, and I I, I always get the you know the snarky comment. Uh, you know, it took you. It took you uh, two weeks to put together something that you could have done manually in in two hours. Yeah, and that is true, and and that is why I think automation is best described as um, something that can help you uh, save time in the long run. Um, because I, the way I look at it, I think there are two kinds. Uh, besides you know cl- cloud automation and local automation i think there are two main categories of automation you know you can create these simple shortcuts that are like launchers for things like oh let me open this website faster or let me launch this app faster yeah. um but then there are the you know the recurring automation the automation that stays with you over time and does things for you, com- performs complex tasks for you in the background or even if you activate it manually, but multiple times over a long period of time. And as I mentioned before, I have these workflows that have been essentially untouched for the past couple of years. And even in shortcuts, I have shortcuts for formatting my articles or creating image galleries or you know these super yeah. long shortcuts yeah. that I created four years ago. And mm-hmm. are still working today. They're paying so the you way, back every time you run them. Exactly. Yeah. So the way that I look at it, this more complex and and you know long maybe a good way to to say that is long term automation. Um, I look at it like a workout, in that it's something that you need to exercise. It's something that you need to that you need to invest uh, some time on on you know. To improve, to improve for the future, to make sure that in the future you will have something that is stronger, that is more, you know, that produces consistent results in the sense that, for example, whenever I save one of those reader questions to my text editor, I don't need to worry about formatting. I don't need to worry about weird accented characters because my shortcuts take care of that format. All the reader questions that I have are always in the same structure, you know, markdown-wise. They have the same format, they look the same, the results are always consistent. And the same is true for my, for example, my biggest project of the year, my iOS review. Certain uh, sections like image galleries or embedded videos they have a consistent format because there's this series of shortcuts that create those for me and the result is always the same so i think it is it is it is fun to you know to to say oh you you spent so much time creating this shortcut but i think it's important to to identify areas uh when when you ask why do it um i think if you can identify an area of your work of your routine of your life that um could use not just being uh, you know sp- speeding up a task because that's the the cla- the the classic answer that is true but also something that you want to make sure works reliably over time and is consistent i would suggest automation because we as humans we are naturally inclined to make errors computers when they are set up correctly 
they do not make errors. <laughs> they they are not like you know humans are we're, we're sloppy. We make typos. We we're, we're imprecise by definition because we're not machines. Machines are precise, <laughs> and they do something, uh, you know, following exactly the rules that you gave to the machine. So if you can identify something that is not necessarily boring, but where you feel like you always make the same mistakes. I think that's where automation comes in, and that's where you you will see the results pay off over time, and that's exactly what I've been seeing with Zapier and Workflow and now Shortcuts. Yeah, and it doesn't always have to be programming. I mean, I increasingly spend most of my life in, in spreadsheets as well, and I think I have a couple of spreadsheets at school that do incredible amounts of work for me, and, and one of them is um, a spreadsheet that creates the, it doesn't create the timetable, but uh, when, when I write the timetable in one worksheet it then automatically scans that and it creates individualized timetables for every teacher and every class and the possibility of making a mistake when you if you were just saying oh well why don't i just type out the timetable 18 times over um that you will make a mistake with that but i have this spreadsheet where it's there's one canonical sheet and that's the correct one and everything else is automatically generated from that and it's not a case of oh, well, there's a discrepancy which one is correct. So all of those kind of things, it's like building a house rather than living in a tent. You know, it's it takes you time to build a house, but once it pays you back every time you live in it, you know. Mm. Um, yeah. I have a book that I, I really like on this topic, on, on a lot of topics, which is called Time Management for System Administrators. And in a way, we're all systems administrators these days a little bit. But this is by an author called Thomas Lumensilli, who is quite well known in the kind of large-scale systems administration world. And he he has a couple of pages about on this question of when do you automate stuff, and he talks about it in terms of if you think about a, you know a, a two by two square of um, whether the tasks are simple or complex and whether you do them once or many times over, and you can place you know at any one task in each one of those quadrants. So what he says his advice is that any any task that is simple and you do once. It's probably not worth automating. Right? You wouldn't automate sending an individual email to somebody. Um, although it's interesting that in, in Siri shortcuts, sometimes Siri will offer to do simple things you've done only once, like send a specific message to somebody. Uh, yeah, why not? Useless. Why not automate that? You know. Um, but the, the other ones, the ones you're talking about, Federico, are more like simple tasks that you do often. We've talked about that. Those are worth automating because the investment pays off really quickly. And the other one is hard tasks that you do once or often. And what Limoncelli says about hard tasks that you do once is that those are worth automating because you get to test the solution bit by bit before you do the whole thing and you get to keep the record of the process for free by the script or the workflow that you built. There's a little bit of debate about whether or not hard things that you do often should be automated by the user or the administrator or whether or not you should actually just buy an application to do that for you. Now, I know that a lot of the stuff that you're you're doing and, and things that I'm doing as well, I, I think I've maybe fallen across that line a bit more than you because you're doing things for which there's no commercial software you could buy. Yeah. I could, in principle, go and buy a package to create a timetable for me, but uh, I've just kind of grown this thing as I've gone along, and I, I hope I never have to change the timetable structure because I don't actually understand how that spreadsheet works anymore. It's, it has a life of its own now. Um, so those tasks that are hard, that you do often, should we write those ourselves or should we use software? That's a judgment call, and I think it depends a lot on how how perfectly the software you could buy aligns with what you want to do. And also, of course, how much it is as well. You know, it's, I mean, you could build a Zapier system for yourself, Federico, but it makes much more sense to buy that part of the system and script, script around the basic functionality. You know, that's always been a kind of key part of scripting functionality on iOS is you've got, or, or on the Mac for that matter, back in the Apple script days, you've got these applications that do great things but you need them just to be connected in a certain way that they don't necessarily have built-in exact features for. And that's where automation comes in, is to kind of be the mortar in between the gaps of these bricks in your system. And I think that's where the great strength of iOS lies and the great strength of shortcut scripting is is to make iOS a lot more connected in that way. Yeah, and and I think that's a good point in that you should use automation instead of just buying an application, for example. 
if you have these very specific needs and you need to produce something or for something to happen that is unique to you, um, I couldn't I couldn't find anything that you know uh, commercial software that has been made specifically for Club Mac stories because that doesn't exist. So if you you know if if you need to have full control over a certain a specific task that is unique to you or if you want to change how um, something works uh that's where automation comes in and that's uh i think the beauty of shortcuts but in a way maybe we can talk we should talk about automation at apple and automation on ios in the sense of does apple think that going forward shortcuts should be the default answer to any criticism of ios lacking a specific feature um in the in the sense of and I think you mentioned this a few episodes ago, your concern yeah. with shortcuts being that Apple sees it as an excuse to say, well, iOS doesn't have this feature, but you can make a shortcut for it. Mm. Yeah, that was something that I was concerned about. And we, I mentioned that in the shortcuts update show for iOS 12. And the, like I was saying there, the way that automation has traditionally been used inside Apple and, and in its customers is that Apple scripts or shortcuts now is there to provide that bespoke functionality that literally possibly nobody else in the world needs except this one customer or two customers. But I was reading, it was Neil Patel at The Verge wrote in his review of the iPad Pro and he was talking about trying to use Lightroom with the the SD card adapter to bring his photos from his camera into Lightroom on the iPad Pro. And the problem was, is of course that the SD card adapter will only dump stuff into photos and won't let any other app access the SD card. So I'm just going to quote a little bit from, from the review here. It's Neil I says, I use Lightroom CC all the time and I would love to manage and edit all my photos on an iPad Pro, especially since editing with the pencil is so much fun in this display, but I've no desire to import hundreds of raw files in my, into my camera roll and iCloud photos account. When I brought this up, Apple very proudly pointed to a new Siri shortcut from Adobe that imports photos from the camera roll into Lightroom and then automatically deletes them from the camera roll. So there's a case of where it's not, you know, that seems to me to be a feature where iOS should let other applications access an SD card. But in fact, the way that it's been presented is, well, here's the core functionality that's been, you know, unchanged for quite a long time, um, probably since the original iPad, actually, um, but here's a here's a shortcut to kind of work around the fact that we don't let other applications look at the SD card, for example. So so there is a question, and it's too early to say, oh, that's that's all Apple's ever going to do. But obviously, there's there's immediate needs that can be filled by shortcuts, perhaps in the short term. But quite often, sort of, um, what is it they say? There's a sort of sysadmin phrase. It's something like, um, broken gets fixed, but crappy lives forever. You know, mm-hmm. um, if, it, if it's completely broken, somebody has to do something about it. But if it just sort of works, it's okay. It's not great. Um, that, there can always be a reason not to fix that part, you know. So that's a kind of open question for me at the moment with the, the positioning of automation inside Apple. That's very, that's very similar to a quote by um, Shigeru Miyamoto. He's, uh, you know, the Nintendo mm. guy. Uh, uh, he once said that um, a delayed game is eventually good, but a rushed game is forever bad. Yeah. That that of course is not necessarily true anymore in the age of uh, games as a service and and patches and software updates. But still, I get the point, and I think there's an argument to be made about automation as a as a temporary fix for something that should really be a system feature. Um, I get that kind of comment every time I make a shortcut. There's always somebody. So the second kind of of, of snarky response is always, "Oh, look at uh, you know the, this is why Apple is behind, or this is why yeah. iOS is behind uh, because you have to you have to create a shortcut for it." And I think that is true sometimes, sometimes, but it's not true other times. And uh, there's a uh, definitely features in iOS that are that you need to create a shortcut for. Like for example, uh, this is perfect a clipboard manager. There's no clipboard manager in iOS, but you can make your own with shortcuts. And really, that should be a system feature. That you know the ability to manage what you copied and to have more clipboard features. That should be something that Apple needs to do by default. Um, but uh, right now, if you want to have that kind of functionality, if you want to sort of uh, hack your way around it, that needs to be your own shortcut. But other, I think, automation 
uh, is important because it allows you to create things that will never be system features because Absolutely. they are specific yeah. to you because Apple doesn't care about making those system features. You know, Apple doesn't mm -hmm. care about, you know, um, l letting you create a custom device wallpaper uh, using a shortcut. That will never be a system feature because it's not needed. Uh, and so I think it's important to separate what, what, what should be a feature, but you're now sort of using a hack to compensate for it and what is really automation what is a task that is specific to your needs and that you want to automate in the future so that that's an important difference to keep in mind yeah i i think one of the kind of canaries in the coal mine for that is kind of how many different apps are you using in your shortcut workflow you know are you are you just doing something specific in one app? I mean, I've got one that I use a lot where, you know, as a teacher, I've got all my classes in a calendar. And some, what I do is I create it at the start of the year and I just make it repeat weekly all the way through to the, the ending date of the last day of school. But in the in the middle there, we have weeks where we have a holiday. But in iOS calendar, there's no way to multiple select multiple events and delete them all at once. So I have a shortcut where um, I basically say, the, the date of the first day of the week and it will clear the calendar for a week following that day. Um, to me, that seems like the kind of thing that should be an app feature, you know, because it's just one app and I'm just making it do something that it doesn't otherwise do. Whereas if I was to, you know, you know take a, a, a text file of all my classes and write a script to go in and automatically create all my classes in calendar and then do something else, you know, that's something that's, you know, a Fraser Spear special, you know, nobody else wants that feature. But, you know, something like I want to multiple select several events and delete them all at once. That's the kind of thing that I think should be app level features. So it's a judgment call and there will, there's, there's always more to do than there are resources to do. But I think it's just something that, it depends how Apple approaches it over the next couple of years to see what how that actually fit, fills out. So what do you think iOS needs to take automation to the next level, to take automation on iOS forward? Well, well there's one thing that I, I think is kind of from the history of using AppleScript on the, on the Mac, you know, it's interesting to think AppleScript was actually the first programming language that I ever shipped anything in. Um, I could tell you that story one day. It was oh, old and... Uh, I would have to tell a lot of history just to explain what it was I was trying to do at the time. But anyway, um, teaching, working with AppleScript on the Mac, um, it wasn't just a set of ways to funnel data between applications. But the thing that was so beautiful about AppleScript on the Mac was that you could actually make it do the work for you inside an app as well. So you could basically use an app almost like with puppet strings from your Apple script. So you could, I remember seeing many sort of publishing Apple scripts back in the early days where a lot of stuff was done in Quark Express. And I remember, I think it was Sal Sagoin had a, an example of, here's a folder of pictures and a folder of text files that describe properties. And this Apple script will take all those pictures and all those descriptions and it will lay out for you with one click, a set of classified adverts for, for properties, you know? And it was, they would all come into Quark Express. They would, calculate the width and height of all these columns, lay it all out. And there was just so much action happening inside the application by scripting. And I think what, where Shortcuts maybe needs to go next for the next level is to enable you to have more, hap more steps happen inside one application in shortcuts rather than um, having to bounce between applications to get things done in shortcuts. And, and shortcuts does a great job of what it's trying to do, but you can't, for example, do a whole bunch of scripting inside the calendar application just using shortcuts. You know, you can do one or two little steps, but that's all. Whereas actually sort of operating the application itself using a shortcut, I think that's kind of the next level thing that iOS needs to go to, to really make it, make it sing and dance properly. Yeah, for apps to offer their own um, scripting, scripting dictionaries, which is what yeah. they do on the Mac. Yeah. Um, essentially, for an app to be able to say, these are all the, the things that you can automate. And, and I think on iOS, it would make sense, given how shortcuts works and how uh, the system works, to take this idea that, again, has been available in AppleScript for decades, to the next level and say, you can automate the app inside of the app, but also 
you can expose these features and these items, these files, whatever it is, to other apps so that multiple apps can work together in an automated fashion. That, of course, you know, begs the question, how will Apple control this from a privacy standpoint, for example? And, and I'm sure that Apple can figure it out. But I think um, a native framework to finally, to, to finally leave, you know, X callback URL and that kind of stuff behind, I think that is absolutely needed for as the ne- one of the next big features of automation on iOS. And the other one, I think, which I'm not sure, again, how, how Apple feels about it, but I think I, personally as a user, I, I, would be, I would feel great about that, is um, the ability to run automations in the background with um, essentially schedules or um, automated triggers. Um, I'm thinking things like um, run something when I arrive or leave from at a specific location or uh, do something when a calendar event is due or do run this shortcut when a, when an, an alarm is is uh, is firing off or uh, I don't know every day at 10 a.m. except for Saturday and Sunday run this shortcut um, that that is the kind of invisible automation that happens in the background that we mentioned before but I don't know how Apple feels about it because that is something very much not user controlled. And I think institutionally, Apple may be against that kind of idea, especially for iOS. Yeah, I think it, it, it slightly breaks the model because your iOS device tends to not do anything unless you're interacting with it, apart yeah. from maybe firing an alarm or pushing a notification. It doesn't do a lot in the background. And I think that possibly opens up um, it opens up the gates to things like uh, this script ran in the background for 48 hours and destroyed my battery life or whatever <laughs> or, or something like that you know um, because this is the kind of thing that the web automation is very powerful for you know because it's always running out on the cloud somewhere and it can it can do things on schedules and all that kind of stuff and um, whether or not some of the local stuff can be integrated with that or there can be a trigger mechanism in the same way is an interesting set of ideas. I think the location one is a is a prime example of something that you could do on iOS or on a device that is hard to do on the cloud, you know. You don't want to be tracking your location to a cloud service all the time just so whenever you go to this particular place an automation can be fired off, you know. So it's it, there's, there's a scope for blending all of that, I would say, in, in the future. Yeah. Um, is there anything else you wish for? Because I have two more personal <laughs> things that I always bring up, uh, but mm-hmm. I wanted to know if there's something else specifically about shortcuts that you would like to see on iOS, or not about shortcuts even. Yeah, I, I just wonder if something like a, a sort of text expander type functionality, you know, if you have Keyboard Maestro in the Mac, for example, ah, that's it, a it, can, it can kind of monitor uh, typing phrases and things, and when you type this phrase, it does something, you know, I think, again, there's a security question there and a privacy question there, um, as there is with all APIs at this point in our history, you know, with the whole Facebook scandal that's going on as well. People are looking at web APIs and they're saying, oh, you know, evil Facebook gave these people too much access to our data. Well, five years ago, they were saying evil Facebook is keeping all our data secret and they won't share it with anybody. (laughs) So there's, there's a thing to be balanced out there. I think, you know, that's Apple's difficult job is to balance the privacy needs of users with their desire for applications and services to work with their data to get something done. And that's a balance that is increasingly difficult to strike, I think, because one bad actor can ruin it for everybody. And and something like that, that monitored everything you typed, I can imagine that being, I can see the value in it, but I can see the political difficulty of ever implementing a feature like that in the current, in the current climate. Yeah, and again, if you look at all of the... Um privacy features and new uh, accessibility permissions that Apple has put in on macOS. Um, yeah. and, and now if you use automation apps, you need to enable those manually. I think you get the idea of uh, how Apple feels about this stuff. Um, yeah. Um, I have two more uh, things that I would love to see in shortcuts. Um, one of them is the ability to uh, assign um, system-wide keyboard commands to shortcuts, um, I would love to run something with a with a keyboard shortcut um, without having to actually open the shortcuts app and tap on the on the on the shortcut. Or I don't know to I don't want to every single time I need to do something. Open photos, select screenshots, 
tap the share sheet. I want to trigger something like on the Mac, for example, you have apps like Alfred or Fast Scripts, you know, all these ways to assign a hotkey to, um, to an action. I want to do that on iOS, especially on the iPad. It makes sense, I think. Yeah, I think the closest you can get at the moment on iOS is to do a spotlight search for a specific shortcut and trigger it with a return key. Is that is that still possible in shortcuts? It used to be a workflow thing. Um... So wait, you use you uh, you mentioned uh, assigning a, a keyboard shortcut to a shortcut. No, it, it, if you use a spotlight search, so if you do a command space if on you your use iPad a, and, and yeah, you can search you, there, and mm, but you cannot easily. No, you can do that. You can definitely open open uh, spotlight and and search for the shortcut name. Yeah, but you need to manually navigate to that shortcut. You're still um, arrowing like it, down to it, yeah. Arrowing down to it, if you, if like, unless the name is super precise, then it'll be the first result, and you can t- and you can hit command return, and it will be selected. But then again, it will not. So that's the problem. It will not run within Spotlight. It will take you to shortcuts, and you will need to run it there. So um, really, it needs to be a, a system wide keyboard combination um yeah there's more can be done there isn't there yeah and the second one um and the final one that i it's a point that i keep bringing up um i want to be able to combine uh, automation in shortcuts with siri in a more advanced way that is currently possible Mm -hmm. specifically i want i want to be able to have a mixed environment of something that is automated but still allows me to jump in and perform some basic user interaction while the shortcut is running. So for example, uh, let's say that I have a HomeKit shortcut, like this very long series of actions that turn on my lights with a specific color or do stuff around the house. But I want to be able to choose the color or I want to be able to choose the light. So I want to have multiple paths, essentially, multiple options. Right now, and I want to be able to to have those options in Siri. Right now, the only way to do this is to recreate the same shortcut multiple times with small differences between each version. So one version of my shortcut makes the lights red, another version makes them blue, and I need to assign a different Siri phrase to each shortcut. In the future, I would like to have a single shortcut with multiple options, multiple mm, uh, ways a shortcut can go. And I can run it with a single Siri phrase, and Siri should be able to ask me which one of these options do you wanna do you wanna use? And I should be able to speak back to Siri uh, and and choose that option or tap on on the iPhone screen if I'm running the shortcut on the iPhone. But I'm thinking HomePod, for example. Yes. Uh, so this idea of something that is automated to an extent, you can still. Um, uh, include conditions uh, that are basically menus, uh, if you will, that wait for your input before they continue. This is something that, in a way, you can do with AppleScript on the Mac if you have dialogues or text fields. And it's it would be essentially the same idea but for voice and for assistants because it's what we use these days. We have assistants, we have speakers, we have watches. I, I think, honestly, that would be the next big step for shortcut Siri integration on iOS. And I hope it's one of the features we're going to see next year. Yeah, because you, you can do that, of course, in shortcuts. If you're running it from shortcuts, you know, you yeah. can pop up a menu and you can choose a branch yeah. that way. But there's no there's just no mechanism to do that by voice. And I think that's that's clearly something that is, is wanted, you know, because if, if you look at a lot of the native features in, in different assistants, they've got that ability to have you, you know, answer a question halfway through and customize what they give you and so on. So, uh, yeah, that's clearly something that needs to be opened up to individuals yeah. as well. Yeah, but that's that's pretty much about all the, I mean, uh, you know, besides the, the, the smaller changes to the app, like, the shortcuts app specifically like folders <laughs> and, and all these but yeah. about automation itself these are uh, the, the big things i would like great well federico let's wrap up the show for that for tonight this has been canvas episode 76 future of ipad specifically looking at automation 
you can get show notes for this episode and I'll link up the book that I referenced plus um, some of the other links we talked about at relay.fm slash canvas slash 76. You can catch the show on Twitter. We're underscore canvas FM. I'm Fraser Spears on Twitter. Federico is Vitici. And we'll be back with you next show for our last ever canvas. <laughs>